It's the top of the hour, uh, and this is Two on One, the Internet's number one talk show where theologians grapple with pop culture and pop culturalists grapple with theology. Uh, you know, if this is all happening, it means I'm your co-host, the Reverend Arthur Stewart. And I am your other co-host, the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. And Arthur, it's, it is so good to be back. It is so good to be back. Uh, we don't know if you figured it out, dear deuces, but we actually pre-recorded the month of July. That's why, like, my beard didn't grow and Spiff's hair magically changed. But if you're listening to the podcast, you had no idea. I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah. Oh, our deuces, our listening deuces are, are have been duped. <laughs> Duped deuces is uh, my favorite new card game from Mattel. Hey, it's the band will start later. It is so good to see you. I've really missed you. I know we talk about how we're like, I think you said to our guest today, you and I are digitally inseparable. We are. Like Me too. Right. I missed you. I missed you too. But what'd you do on your summer vacation, Spiff? Um, well, my church does sabbatical uh, for each of its pastors yearly. We get a month wow. and I think it's a model of, of sabbatical. That's really um, it's not for everybody, but it's really useful for our community in which, you know, you know me, I work a lot and I love my job, uh, but I work hard. And so those, and I also don't rest well. I'm not one that like, I don't take my, my Sabbaths well. And so this kind of forced yearly sabbatical where we each get a, a, a month off to rest and renew is just a really cool thing that my church does for us. Um, you know, as those of us that we do a lot of protesting and think, you know, a lot of our ministry is both inside and outside in the street or, uh, you know, 24 hours a day during COVID. So, um, but I got to go home to California, um, again, before all this Delta variant kind of took off. Mm. Um, and, um, so I got to see my niece who turned four and is magical and uh yeah what did you do what was your christmas what, what did you get for christmas in july arthur uh, i went to delaware and i saw nephews and my sister and i ate a lot of seafood and i got beaten up by the ocean and i had an experience which i'm calling secular prayer Ooh. figuring out how to work that into my doctoral program which carries forth you're getting way ahead of me in your doctoral work um but i'm going to catch up uh it, you know uh I keep, it's not a race. It is. We all, we all do it at our time. And also I'm a three. So yes, I am winning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'm seven. So as long as I'm having fun, I don't really care. Totally. But yeah, I'm, I am at Drew doing a women's in women in religious leadership cohort. Um, and we are uh, finishing our coursework this week uh, for uh, uh, the prepare, preparing for a year and a half of thesis writing. And then it'll be Rev. Dr. Spiff. I've seen some of the books and this is a total aside and we really got to get to our program. We really do. <laughs> but uh, I want to talk to you about some of those Corinthian books when you're done, because I don't know if you know this. I've been studying the Corinthians uh, for a while here. So anyways, do you know what season it is right now, Spiff? It's ordination season. It is indeed. And we want to pause and celebrate all the folks who have said yes to their distinct call by God in their lives and the congregations who have also said yes to the authorization of these calls. So part of ordination in our tradition, the disciples, is signs of office. There's patents and chalices and there's pitchers and basins. There's ministerial code of ethics, words of commendation from regions and your uh, divinity schools or seminaries. And robes. And of course, stoles. Stoles. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's take a moment to pause and celebrate to the marvelous 
truly beautiful liturgical textiles from our lead sponsor, Jeff One Row Designs. If you're looking for the perfect ordination gift for the newly official minister in your life, Jeff One Row Designs is your best option. For over 16 years, Jeff One Row has been making ordinary time extraordinary time by designing and handcrafting banners and pyramids and frontals and, of course, stoles of all varieties for all denominations and theological persuasions. And I don't know about you, Spiff, but when I do ecumenical work out on the streets, I oftentimes wear a stole as a mark of the office. And even the zero tradition folks I encounter are a little jealous, a little covetous of that great stole. Yeah, I have a... uh, a Quick little story about that. So a couple of years ago, so I run a thing called Beloved and Proud, which is a gathering of different um, faith leaders from around New York City. And uh, so for Pride, a couple of years ago, we uh, Beloved and Proud marched in New York City Pride. And uh, there was a moment where, and we had like 50 people like RSVP and we were like so excited. Arthur, we had like 400 people show up. It was wild. It was so fun and so joyous. We took up two full city blocks of the parade. And at one point, we all took a need to remember those who we have lost due to the various systems of oppression that face the uh, queer community um, and the Black community and the Indigenous community, you know, just all the oppressive structures of this world. And Anyways, so there was a couple behind me and I was in a collar, but not in my stall. Like I was just, it was hot. It's or it's June in New York. And they were just kind of talking to each other. And I little, I overheard a little bit and they were supposed to get married that day and had signed up. There's a church in New York city that apparently was doing like 15 minute weddings where you could just sign up. And so they signed up and, uh, these two men, uh, one of them has a, a name that has been socially constructed to be understood as a feminine name. And so this church did not think anything about it when they had signed up and all the things. And they got there. And as two men, they were turned away. And they were just kind of really excited to walk with us and kind of have some of that pride built back into their spaces. But um, but we're sad. And so I turned around and I was like, do you do you want to get married? Do you have your marriage license? And they're like, yeah, we do. Like we are, we're all ready. And they're telling me the story, not recognizing again, because as a woman, we are often overlooked as faith leaders, um, ordained faith leaders. And so I was like, do you want to get married right now? And he was like, yeah. And so I married them in the middle of our entire contingency. And what I did though, was I had a backpack and I pulled out my stole and I put it on to, uh, officiate this very quick middle of pride, uh, ceremony wedding. And, um, and I did not have my Jeff One Russell on because I just got my Jeff One Russell, as our says know. Um, but it reminds me of the weight and the power and the authority and the love that comes with these types of just beautifully crafted stoles from Jeff. It is the yoke of Christ. Mm. I once had a Quaker call it a fancy worship scarf. Oh, I, I love that. I love that. It was my rainbow crane stole, incidentally. That is a fancy scarf. Mm-hmm. Uh, So if you are looking for an exquisite quality piece of liturgical art that you can use and wear, head on over to jeffonerow.com. That is J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com for a full catalog and customization options. When you wear a fancy worship scarf, make sure it's the best. And those fancy worship scarves are from Jeff One Row. Absolutely. And uh, just a reminder that our deuces have a special code just for you. It is the best code that's, uh, that is available for Jeff's stoles right now. And it is two on one. You use it at checkout. And you know where you, if you forget that code, do you know where you can see it, Arthur? On our website? On our website. But where is also our website this Saturday? 
Oh, it's at Disciples Virtual Gathering. You it is at Disciples Virtual Gathering. Come on over to the virtual, uh, to Disciples Virtual Gathering. Go to disciples.org uh, and you can see me all day long. Um, you can see the 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 content over at the two-on-one booth in our virtual or our, our gathering hall. And um, so make sure you do that, disciples and non-disciples, people that just want to show up. It'll happen, but make sure you show up to jeffonerow.com. And thanks again, Jeff, for being just the best dang sponsor a talk show could ever want. Jeff will be there too. Jeff's coming to virtual gathering too. So awesome. Um, It's the best, simply the best. Uh, And you know what? I've had the time of my life, Spiff. I was going to make the same joke. And uh, I would like to owe it all to our guests. Very patient. Had the time of my life. Uh, Dana, welcome. Oh, oh, you're sideways. Spiff. Oh, there we go. Is it? Oh, awesome. Spiff, that was a beautiful rendition. I mean, why didn't they hire you for the soundtrack? Mm. Is what I'm dying to know. Pro- probably because I was four when it came out, but that would not have stopped me. Let me, the four-year-old precocious Stephanie, who went on to, uh, my undergrad is in vocal performance and musical theater, would have loved that. Because I, Dana, this, this, I did not know that I needed this episode. Oh, that is music to my ears. Uh, uh, <laughs> Before yeah. we get into it, tell us who you are. Tell us your projects, your passion, your purpose, your poise. Oh, you're you're so kind. I'm Dana. I am a professor of world religions and critical thinking at Wake Tech Community College in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm also an author of four books, the latest of which is Dessert First, Preparing for Life While or Preparing for Death While Savoring Life. And so and we've done a lot of preparing for life and death this year. And so it's a very pertinent work that I had no idea would be so pertinent in the era of COVID and beyond. And I'm also, you know, first and foremost, above teaching and ministering and writing, I'm a dirty dancing enthusiast, like <laughs> hardcore, number one. That should have, I should have led with that. I mean, that's my, that's my favorite line in my bio. So when you go to your you website, it. it's like, that's all it is, right? It's just like pictures. It's just videos of you dirty dancing. Right. Exactly. Totally. I do know for those of you who are listening on the podcast, Dana Trent is in a corner right now. I am in a oh my gosh, Arthur, you're totally right. Oh yourself in a corner too. What am I doing? You know, it's Enneagram too. It's like we just we look for the lowest space in the room where we can like hover and help other people. So yeah, you were a seven just for a moment because of dessert first, but I get it. Uh okay. Today's topic is the 1980s masterpiece, Dirty Dancing. Uh, for those of you who have not seen Dirty Dancing, I do want to note it's 99 cents on a certain streaming surface that just sent its evil, megalomaniacal billionaire owner into space. Take that hint as you wish. Uh, Dirty Dancing is... And go to Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Dirty Dancing is set well, in the 1960s at a resort in the Northeast, wherein dancing is... Uh, a metaphor for a lot of things. So Dana, why do you love Dirty Dancing so much? Oh, you know, and every time I watch it, and Spiff, I know that you've seen Rent like 40 times. Is that right? It is. So I'm, yeah, I'm probably up there. Maybe, maybe like times 10, right? So it's dirty. Like I just, every time I watch it, you probably feel this way about Rent. You see something new, right? And so as I'm watching it, you know, in light of 2020 and thinking about George Floyd and injustices and privilege, you know, and racism and classism, like my, 
my eyes are open to all the mega themes of this movie about classism, about judgment, about, you know, um, privilege and who has it and who doesn't. And how are we going to tell that in storytelling? And so that's what I love the most about this movie. It's of course fun, but it's also very poignant, you know, and if you, I've got a copy of the script. And so if you just read the script too, that comes across more um, vividly than the dancing, right? Because we're also enthralled with Patrick and, you know, is, I mean, who isn't, right? So, but when you read the words, when you read Eleanor Bergstein's words, you realize like how far ahead of the curve she was, both in her adolescence, but also like how this movie speaks to us now in our current time. So, yeah. It, Forgive me. I mean, that's exactly what I put on my... <laughs> I watched it again last night and I will admit that I, I watched it for the first time, I think more as like an adult, definitely more in like my woman is feminist field that I'm in now. And like for the first time in a really long time. And I was like, I'm sorry, why is this not like the magnum opus for like feminist? <laughs> like it totally. is, it, it is so pertinent to what is happening today in our courts and today in our world. And it was written in the 80s and it's set in the 60s and i was like it's kind of set in the 60s what <laughs> it's vaguely set in and sure sure right mm-hmm. but, but you know she's I, I mean the first thing you know about her is that she's got these you know, of baby is that she's and which is also a juxtaposition of from the name baby right like that that's an entire thing and then but she's like she's going into the peace corps and she's just like right. She's like, it's before Kennedy, but after the, you know, you're just like, oh, like she sets a stage for this kind of empowerment that you already understand, like right off the bat Um, Mm -hmm. is so important for our young people today um, Mm -hmm. to know that, like, no matter what is coming at you, like you've got, you've got what you need. And I think that I'm going to come out and say this because I wrote it as a note to myself. This movie is about falling in love with yourself um, in a way that we need right now. Um, that isn't about individualism, but is about who you were created to be in, in community and, uh, and in your wholeness. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's beautifully said falling in love with yourself. And when you do that, you know, when baby is who she says she is, you know, um, Johnny says to her, you know, you're not afraid to, you know, tell the world who you are and stand up for other people, especially when it's going to cost you something. And so, I mean, what greater like call do we have to tikkun olam and repairing the world, you know, as we get into like the theological themes of this too, but first and foremost, you're exactly right. I mean, this is about identity. It's about um, social constructs and it just, it speaks, you're right, to young people today, which gives me an idea. I think maybe I'll have to figure out a religious angle to play this in class this semester. So you all are getting my wheels turning for this too. So thank you. Well, it's, it's the golden rule. It is the golden rule. Um, I mean, baby sacrifices her relationship with her father. And I think, I think when she's talking to her sister towards the end of the movie, when they're both, you're no longer daddy's girl. He now listens to what I have to say. First, it breaks my heart for the idiot sister who is perfectly played as, as somebody who's just bad at dancing and did a lot of theater. People have to know how to dance to dance that poorly. And her, <laughs> yeah. her robotic cooling was amazing. Anyways. Um, I literally wrote a note. I was like, is the sister hula scene the most problematic scene of this movie with, with, with the exception of like 
there aren't a lot of people of color, right? Like it's not actually right. of like it's very white. There's the but like, couple that dances in the background. Oh, for sure. I mean, there the, is there is no guy whose last name is Hernandez or Gutierrez. Um, or I think you're right. And then there's Tito, who yeah, is Tito. the Tito is the um is the gentleman at the end with Max, and they're sort of and what's cool about that relationship with Tito and Max is that they're going through the history of the resort together and what they've endured. You know, oh, we've lived through the Great Depression, we've lived through the war. You know, remember this, remember this. Oh, the kids don't want to come here now. They want to, you know, go to Europe. You know, thirty-one countries in four days, and so they're bemoaning this idea. So there's there's some really there's some gifts of friendship. But going back to Lisa, Lisa is perfectly played you know she decorates the world she feels pretty she's got her own version of dancing she's got this problematic you know boy figure we're going to call him a man child in this movie um who's her love interest and you know she's just she's sort of she's you know we all would love to be baby you know and have this deep like ethical tethering to our values. But in reality, I would say that most of the time I walk around the world as Lisa, right? Just kind of, you know, my friend, superficial, this really good sermon where she talked about the fact that when we see stories, we want to cast ourselves as the heroes, but we need to be able to step back and see where sometimes we are the Lisa's like we are, we are anyways, Spiff, you had a question and I kind of jumped in and we, we derailed and I beg your pardon. No, you're good. I mean, this is you, we can already tell that this episode is off to like high energy because we're all like, huh, y'all, we gotta talk about this. And it's, you know, but I just uh maybe because I'm, you know, I'm in a women's religious leadership cohort. It is a cohort for the first time in my life. I um was in a class of all women taught by a woman. Mm. And I did not realize how much that affected, I did not realize how much the male gaze affected my learning style, as especially as a three who was performative in lots of different ways. Uh I taking that off completely allowed me to understand my true learning style and how I learn best. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. And then, and so I'm watching this and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And her name, like, what is your name, baby? What is your real name? Baby? I thought was the, was so good, was so moving because what is the true name? Who, who are we at our core? Right. And because the world sees us as baby Mm. and and the amount of times that as a woman, I am called baby or darling or anything but pastor, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, or where's your husband while I'm single, you know, like all the things that are put onto us. And yet some of it is, you know, it's a reclaim. She's fine with mm-hmm. being called baby because that is also a part of who she is holding that in, in um, juxtaposition, I thought was really beautifully done, but I wonder, you know, at the uh, there's that line at the end that Johnny with the dad, which I mean, rest in peace, Jerry Orbach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the whole thing is cast so well. Uh, but, you know, it's like, oh, that is who you would see, right? Johnny comes out yeah. and it's like, Jerry makes that real, or the dad makes a real judgmental call. And I wonder who we hope, what is the church, what is the church trying to tell us about who it really is and uh, who we think it is like, who, mm. what do we see that what do we, what are we projecting on the church and what do we see as the church, but what is the church in its action telling us who it is? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. That is a great question. I think, you know, 
superficially, right? The church, we, there's a lot of classism within the church. There's a lot of privilege. There's a lot of, I feel pretty and decorating the world rather than changing it. There's a lot of judgment towards people whom, um, as baby says so eloquently to her father, you wanted me to give everyone a chance, but you mean people who are just like you, right? Mm-hmm. That's, I think, uh, what, where the church gets into trouble is that we are looking to help people to save people who are just like us. And if they are not like us outwardly or internally, then we are judging them as castoffs, you know, that just like, um, the daddy, uh, Dr. Hausman, um, judged Johnny Castle, you know, and what I find is so incredible about that particular relationship is that Johnny is not the one to correct him. It's Robbie who is, you know, bragging about his relationship with Penny and he's the one that spills it. And so I so admired that Johnny's integrity was such that I'm going to allow you to maintain that judgment of me and I'm not going to correct it because it's not my job to correct it. And you're going to think what you want to think anyway, but it, it is so, um, what's the word satisfying as the viewer that it's actually Robbie who makes the misstep in the end. So, but yeah, that's, I think the church is looking to save and help and nurture and recruit people that looks just like it. I think the church thrives on conflict as well, um, and it thrives on on the classist conflict. Yeah. I've worked in food service and I've worked in entertainment, and you know what? I would smoke cigarettes behind the building as a waiter with the entertainment, or as the entertainer with the waiters, um, because we were all making next to no money doing uh, all of the schlepping work and the beginning where it's, you know, like, okay, well, waiters, if you need to, you know, go to town on these girls, do it, but you guys are trash. What they should have said is all of us are here at the whims of an employer. Let's take this over and kill Max. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding, but the church will say, you know, okay, I'm at a small to medium sized congregation. Well, thank God we're not a small congregation. And thank God we we have more resources than that. And what we really want to be is a mega church, um, because where our failings are is we want to be a. Ma- and it's not actually what Riverside. It's not a direct thing of what has been expressed, but we're always not looking at who we are, and we're certainly not saying how do we help the smaller churches thrive. It's when we have ten thousand members, like our parking lot fits eighty cars. We're not going to need to have more than 300 members unless we want to move away from the river and be one of those churches that's named like fifth Avenue church. And it's out on 500th Avenue, but I digress. Mm -hmm. Um, Neil and Robbie are the two worst characters in any movie ever made. I hate them so much. When he pulled out the fountainhead, I was like, fountainhead into the pitcher of water. What notes were in the margin? Like, feed poor people to dogs like what is he gonna okay sorry question um the fountainhead anti-christian or anti-christ i don't know i I don't need that yeah that's (laughs) that's your um y'all need to put that on the docket for your your podcast docket (laughs) the ayn rand And, and for the one person who I know listens to the show and always threatens to do the episodes where I'm like, I will not do it. Don't you even dare. Do not send <laughs> an email. Do not try to get Smith on board with this. I'm not doing a Fountainhead episode, please. Okay. I love it. I love it. But it's just, you know, the arrogance of Robbie and I, I'm the waiters and the entertainment. And, you know, it's interesting. 
Arthur, Arthur, that you said, you know, that that relationship between the two forces of labor that are running the hotel, right? Well, you know, you would think that they would join forces together and overthrow Max or Neil or, or what have you, or or know their value at the very least. But it is this weird competition between the two of them and the fact that Max says, oh, I hire the Yale boys and the Harvard boys to be my waiters. They're the front facing, you know, um, of the, of the, I almost said Mountain Lake, um, but that's, it's because it's a real place, but it's, it's like the, yeah, it's so frustrating, right? He is so frustrating as a character, but that's the one thing I also love about this script is that the tension is in every scene. You know, there's not a single scene where there isn't some kind of classist or underlying relationship tension between the characters, which is the mark of a brilliant story, right? Yeah. I, I will admit this. I watched this movie for the first time in 23 years with my husband in bed last night. One, I was always convinced, still kind of am, that Johnny is gay. Like, he's passionate and he's trying to figure himself out, but he's probably... I have, I have a note on that, too. Yeah. Two. Yeah, I wouldn't take it off the table. Yeah. Well, and then, okay, it's the 60s. Like, what are you going to do? But two, it's the... Um, sometimes, like, you know, when, when Robbie comes up and he's like, I've slummed, too. Right. At that line initially, and the more I've thought about it, like this morning, it was he is so unaware of his privilege that he sees no problem with saying that in front of the woman he quote unquote slummed with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. This, this was a wake up call to my own privilege. Spiff, I'm talking so far too much. I shouldn't have. No, been- you're not. I'm loving this. I mean, I, I have all the same notes. You know, I was like, one of my notes that I wrote to myself was just like, when did the ballroom dancers stop becoming the tough guys? Yes. Because well, I think it's such an interesting dynamic of use of like, you know, what it means to be like masculine, what it means, you know, like what, how has toxic masculinity for lack of a better, like, a, you know, kind of expansive term today influence how we see it and what was not there when it was being written and performed that allows this to be believable that allows mm. for the understanding of like, that's who these people are. Like Johnny's a tough guy, right? Like, and also for us to be like, and he's probably queer a little bit and he's a sex worker and like, right. Yeah. Can we talk about like, Johnny Castle is a sex worker, please. Let's do it. And mm-hmm. it's totally fine. Yes. Yeah, just kind of expected. Also, yeah. did the did the I forget her name, the older woman whose husband gambles all the time. Vivian Bungalow Bunny. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. Vivian's husband know? Was he was he paying Johnny to sleep with his wife? I think he is. Spiff, what do you think? I think he is too. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. What when I watched that, that's what tipped me off to him being a sex worker. Um right. it is not just because at the beginning it's just like sleep with whoever you want, you right. know, do the thing. It's like we've all been to camp or know the camp story where there's just a lot of mingling for lack of a better term. Um and but like, it's like, no, here, here's money, right? Like it's the money that makes it more. And that Johnny isn't like, what is this? It's like, he has to mull it over, which means it's not the first time. And also she calls him lover at the, you know, like at the end, it's just like, mm-hmm. hey, lover, it's our last night. This is what I have planned. It makes me think, has he been doing this all summer to her? You know, like. Mm-hmm. Well, they put diamonds in his pockets. Well, yeah. And, and so it's like, you know, and, and it's expected. It's part of the culture that sex work is part of their understanding of exploited labor in their community um, without, 
naming it as such as like that's like that's not what they have an issue with they have an issue with that he is like the performer not that right. he is the sexual performer in in hindsight well in mm-hmm. location where you know like redlining historically has been detrimental to the labor movement as well because if your neighbors are all the same race as you you never build relationships outside of work and therefore it's easier to create division the Jordan. waiters i don't think lived with the dancers Mm -mm. um Mm -mm. also i knew this would be a fun interview i did not expect it to have this kind of serious vibe that we've like downshifted into (laughs) and i'm 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 completely okay with it i am in fact having the time of my life but i do need you guys to do me one favor okay 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 Mm -hmm. i need somebody to ask me how i got in here how'd you get in there author i brought watermelon dum dum Um, I was going to buy an actual watermelon, but I couldn't. We have to- You carried a watermelon? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's, a, that's a question I have. What is the church's watermelon today? What is, the, what is the thing that we need to start extending to people to say, here's the invitation to come with? Mm. I vouch for this person because they carried a watermelon. Is Which is right. Like, yeah, it's like you have helped you 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 have buy in now, right? But like right. this is all for yours. For yeah, mm-hmm. this is all, but food has always been for me as a sign of you know the beloved community, and I mm-hmm. love that it starts with that watermelon. That there is a can you? Well, and here's a two folded question, right? Because he mm-hmm. he answered the watermelon and says, "Can you keep a secret?" Right. So what what secrets are we keeping about the invitations that we extend to people in our communities? Mm, that's so well said. And what I love too is that, you know, we've, we've just landed on Billy and we haven't talked about Billy yet. And Billy kind of bridges both worlds, right? And so he can also be a metaphor for the church um, because mm. he's tied to Johnny. He's Johnny's cousin. But you notice that he's in the opening scene with Max. You know, Max trusts Billy to, you know, carry in the houseman's luggage, the, the demonstration, the showing in those opening scenes are that the houseman's are very important guests. They're VIPs. We don't see Neil anywhere. Right. Um, and even though uh, Billy's considered the help, he is, he's a front facing person for Max, even though he's not a Harvard or a Yale or a waiter, you know, he's not a Robbie. And so, um, you know, there's some arguments that have cir- circulated for decades that actually baby and Billy are a better match than um than johnny and baby and so it's interesting to think of him as a bridge character and then he literally hands her the watermelon she hands it back and then she carries it for him so is it i I like the spiff you took a literal idea of food and then i always think about vulnerability you know billy is kind of willing to be vulnerable with baby and baby in turn is willing to like step into her own vulnerability when they cross the threshold literally into the building. And then story-wise, she's crossing the threshold from the ordinary world, her world, into this call to adventure. And so he's a great, um, what would be the, a guide? You know, he's a guru of sorts leading her into this new experience. But does she get caught off on, and, and I, you know, again, we're influenced for what, but like, is Johnny influencer culture, right? Like, did she mm. leave the person that she is su- kind of supposed to be with? It makes sense that like the person that invites you is the person that you kind of like 
navigate a new world with, right? It would make sense for her to stay with with Neil and say, okay, like, what is this? Oh my gosh, look at all this dirty dancing, right? And like, mm-hmm. what's happening? Um, and he he's given the invitation, here's the watermelon, come, come be a part of this community, but also I'm trusting you. And you, you know, right. there's no reciprocity there. Um, but the minute she sees Johnny, and we all know those people who go to churches for that pastor. Yes. Or yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the charismatic, the charismatic, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I, you know, I moved to a new place, but my church is online uh, because that's mm-hmm. where I go. You know, I, I stick with the Joel Osteens and I stick with the whatever, because it there it's engaging. I like being pastored to by the, f- by the front man, right. Or whatever that mm-hmm. looks like. Um, mm-hmm. And yet her spiritual care would probably be a little bit more tenderly held by mm-hmm. Neil in that beginning. Um, yes. So, or by Billy. Yes. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Or, or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. By Billy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that, mm-hmm. what does that look like for yeah. those of us doing this work today who are doing the faithful, who are trying to say mm-hmm. journey with me and Jesus, right? Like, cause this is where we're going. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, Johnny is Jesus in this metaphor <laughs> and, we're, and we're missing. No, he's, he's the liberator. He's the Lord of the dance. He's the li- Right, exactly. JC, like he is a Christ figure. He even dies and returns. Um, Mm -hmm. Right, but she immediately falls in love with Johnny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we're doing this metaphorically correct, yes, Johnny absolutely loves her into loving herself, and she can't live her life not feeling that love that she has for him. Mm -hmm. I also Mm -hmm. think at the end of the movie, she ends up with Billy because Johnny has to go. Johnny has to go to the next place he's supposed to be. And Johnny, oh. and he names that she helped him find himself, right? That's why I think this movie is about falling in love with yourself because at the end, Johnny's like, she makes me want to be better. Yes, that's interesting. I had not, gosh, I had not thought about her ending, you know, off the page with Billy, but that's a really good point. And, you know, and we haven't even talked about the fact too that, you know, Johnny treats her kind of like a dog for the first three quarters of the movie. You know, it's not into that vulnerability of, of them being in the, the bed together in his cabin where he's sharing, you know, the testimonial, if you will, about being, feeling used from, you know, being a sex worker and, you know, he, he is all of a sudden vulnerable. Right. And so, but that the treatment of her in those first, you know, that, that tense back and forth is it, it kind of gets overlooked, but, and so I'm curious what you, you two think about that too. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off either, but like, because it's this scene, I wanted, like, this scene was like kind of everything to me. Like the front, I I wrote a note. I was like, oh, she's asking about her own sexual health as an independent, wonderful woman. How many women have you, you know, been with is is her question. And he gaslights her and he's like, no, no, that's not who I am. And then realizes that there is a connection there and the vulnerability that is expected when faithful connection happens uh, you know, offered truth in that moment. And then you get the real Johnny, but I was so mad at him for gaslighting her for owning her own sexual health and being like, what is happening? Like, mm-hmm. so, it was me being like, Oh, cause he's terrible. That is so messed up. It um, is. It is. Yeah. And like thinking about gender roles and norms and we're, you know, we aren't given the information as to whether this is her first sexual experience. We don't really get that information. So we don't know, um, but we, that it's irrelevant to the story that she right. is a rising freshman in college and, <laughs> and it, and it does not, it, she's not defined as a virgin, which right. breaks the, the Madonna, Madonna uh, dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mm -hmm. It does. It does. That we're allowed Mm -hmm. to have pleasurable sex and own our own body and Mm -hmm. talk about at whatever age feels right and you know uh, healthy. Going back to the the sister conversation at night, Lisa. Um, mm-hmm. Lisa, Lisa's like, I think tonight's the night I'm going to go all the way. Mm-hmm. Maybe never has to have that conversation because there is trust and there's vulnerability and there's passion. Mm-hmm. Um, the best advice I was ever given was when I was 13 years old and somebody said, virginity doesn't exist. Your heart does. You do not have virginity mm-hmm. to give. You do not have virginity to be taken. You only have yourself. Wow. Um, and that just reminded me of that. And of course it was right after seeing dirty dancing. So I like to think that that helped sexually educate me. Oh my goodness. What are the odds? It did help me understand that I really like Patrick Swayze's like chest. Like I don't need like super ripped. He's just in phenomenal shape. And phenomenal. Yes. He moves. There's something just about the way he moves that it's not necessarily your body, but it's about how you move through this world. That's actually very sexy. Mm-hmm. It is. It and, is. Yes. Agreed. In that dinner jacket, when he was uh, the first dance he does at the resort, like. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you listening, we all just had a momentary talk about Patrick Swayze. We were. Yes, Rest in peace, buddy. Yes. We were going in our, our, the movies were, were rolling in our heads. Yes. Agreed. I'll never forget as a child, I used to watch this movie with my cousins, shout out to Aaron and Brittany who are, you know, if they're not listening now, they're going to listen later. And we would watch, you know, this is the nineties, early nineties. And when he does, um, the two of them are sort of at a, a, a gray background maybe. And he's doing like this little shimmy, like with his rib cage. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, I don't think I'd ever seen a person's body move that fluidly and beautifully wherein you could see their actual like muscle strains, you know, like their, the, um, the tone of their muscles. I mean, it was just incredible. And I think too, like, that's another indication Vivian, you know, wants Johnny for his body. Right. And so, um, but, but Johnny is doing something really amazing with his body. You know, he's bringing joy to the people who are watching him dance. He has a connection with Penny via his body and their dancing. Ultimately he has a connection with baby and, you know, via their bodies. And so it's, this movie does have a lot of like body theology in it when we start to peel off the the layers of the onion. So and the, the, the language of baby, I think, as a through line from both abortion and the liberating of understanding of who she is. Like it's a yes. this kind of dichotomy of like, how, what does it actually mean? The, the politics of identity, you know, what does it really mean to own your body? One for, mm-hmm. uh, well, what is his dancing partner's name? Um, Penny. Penny, mm-hmm. thank you. I was like, you just mm-hmm. said it. Uh, what, Penny's body mm-hmm. and the, the baby that would come from what is happening in her body, you know, like. Uh, mm-hmm. There is baby there, and there is ba- like the through line of baby saving her with the money, and then baby liberating into herself. That just that word um, has carried so many layers to this film of one that is like comprehensive healthcare, and uh, yes. and who are we in our own skin, and who mm-hmm. are we in community, and who are we at the end of the day uh, when we take off the mm-hmm. the, the you know the showcase dress, when we take off the, the nickname, when, you know, who are we in our vulnerable moments with those we trust? Oh, that's beautifully said. Um, and, and speaking of Penny too, you know, you mentioned this, this really powerful through line, which I had not thought about with baby and 
see, that's another layer that I'm going to look at it differently when I watch the movie again. But, you know, can we talk about how wise Penny is as a character too? And, you know, she, she counsels Johnny. She has a very tender relationship with Dr. Houseman. I mean, you notice that he doesn't offer, at least not that we see judgment. I mean, he says, you know, you can't hang out with these people, but he's, I think he's more thinking about Johnny, right? Because he's thinking about the male who implicated Penny, you know, so he's got a very tender connection with Penny. He checks on her, you know, and, and she feels very tenderly towards him. And then Penny counsels Johnny later when he gets involved with baby. And so, yeah, just Penny's wisdom. I mean, not when it comes to Robbie, but I think she thought that situation was going to turn out differently, you know, which is also, you know, something that happens to everybody in our lives at some point. When we don't have access to adequate health care, we don't get to make responsible decisions. And sometimes the things that happen to us are not even of our own right. doing. And if you need um, an abortion, you should probably think that it should be safe, legal, and rare because people will not stop getting abortions if they're outlawed. They will only go to extremes like backroom doors with folding chairs and um, however it was described in the dirty knives. Yep. And I, I, Penny, I mean, I, Penny is the unsung hero of this entire movie for me. I love her. I, I love what she brings. Um, you know, especially as, a woman who is, Dana, as you said, she is tender and she is intimate and she is vulnerable with these men and they are not her partners. They are her partner. They are like, they are not her like spouse partners, right? They're her Mm -hmm. dance partners. They are her friends. And I think we have gotten culturally, uh, and the church has a lot to do with this, that you have one partner in this life, right? You have one partner of intimacy in this life. And that's just not true. Um, Mm -hmm. The people that we are intimate with uh, and what intimacy looks like in lots of different ways needs to be celebrated and named in the church so that we start to name and value it in society. Um, because if not, then you put all your trust in this one person and that's okay sometimes, but like you're a whole person with different manifestations of who you are in different spaces. And there's going to be different needs and different levels of vulnerability and all the things that, um, come with that about being a part of a beloved community. And so exactly. if we don't start naming that at, the, you know, from the pulpit to say like, mm-hmm. I identify as a straight woman, uh, unpartnered right now. And yet I have intimate, vulnerable relationships with my female friends who know things about me that my sexual partners or my, you know, my boyfriends have never known or, you know, for lots of different reasons or have known in different ways. And so, mm-hmm. um, how do we as the church or as faith leaders, as, as, uh, professors and things like that, uh, help open that space up so mm-hmm. that we are, start to understand, you know, the beloved community as many spaces of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Mm, very well said. Very well said. Do you think, you know, Penny is who, well, let me ask you this. This is not a leading question. Let me reframe it. Who do you think is, who, or who's your favorite character? I was going to say, who do you think is the wisest character or what character speaks the most to you? But yeah, like we could just land there. Like who, whom do you resonate most with for whatever reason? Arthur? Uh, I like Wayne Knight's. I'm kidding. He's awful. <laughs> I, well, th- now that's it. I mean, but he got his start. I mean, this was his breakout role. Really? That's how. Okay. Um, yeah. I like him more. Um, <laughs> but it's just he's. I, I am going to go for Penny because of wisdom and I'm changing my final answer because Penny was wisdom in my final answer. Um, but I am going to go with Wayne Knight because he is, 
he is uh no i'm not gonna say he's my favorite, <laughs> favorite character is baby um baby Good. i wish we all had rehearsal bridges i know oh yes <laughs> that's uh, awesome or me too yeah dana who's your favorite oh, oh gosh um it's it's usually johnny yeah so Johnny, I resonate most with Johnny because, you know, Johnny describes himself as sort of being a, from, from the streets, you know, he's kind of a, he's a salt of the earth character. You know, his, his dad and his uncle are painters and plaster, um, plaster experts. And so it's, it's, he's, he's a working guy. Right. And he, and people don't, um, people don't, people make assumptions about him. Um, and about his life and what he's about. And yet he's got this beautiful, elegant, bourgeois craft, aka ballroom dancing, right? That the rich people love. And so I love him because he lives in two different worlds mm. and he can straddle both of those worlds effortlessly, you know, but actually externally, um, it looks effortless, but on the inside, as we learn more about him as a character, we realize there's an internal conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think I go with Johnny too. And uh, for all the ways in which you just mentioned and that there is a, like he deconstructs stereotypes about what it means to be a man, right? He is a, he is a caretaker, but like a, a, a present one. It is not just about throwing money at a problem. It is about, you know, when Penny is, you know, in the throes of her botched, you know, kind of medical procedure and he comes in, it's like Johnny's, you know, like it's a, it's a ministry of presence that he offers, yes. but I will name at the end, the person that I keep thinking about um, is the dad is Jerry mm. character because I loved I, I mean, I love a good old timey, you know, medical bag. I love the idea. I, I generally travel with a collar, like just a, that I can throw on if I need it, uh, but I don't necessarily carry all the things necessary for me to do the tools of my vocation. And mm-hmm. I love that he offers that just visual space when he, when she grabs his bag and he has it that mm-hmm. says like, he is so called to what he does to healing community that he travels with the things necessary to equip him to do his work. Well, he also shows an arc of growth and change that I hope the church embodies. So, Mm. and the very fact that, okay, $250 is a lot of money, except not to her and not to him. Right. Not to him. I I wish the one shot I wish they would have had is he just pulls out a a wad of cash, peels it off and hands it. (laughs) Because yeah. obviously, like hey, I'm a band of cash for mm-hmm. three weeks and not working. Also, right. side note, Johnny being like, Oh, I'm in a union. It's like, Johnny, you have mm-hmm. health care, so shut up. Um, <laughs> Good point. But I get it. Well done, um, Arthur. <laughs> but it's it's the he never hesitates to help Penny. He continues to check on her, even though he's furious with baby about this mm-hmm. and will not speak to her. I I think I agree with that, Spiff. I really like your answer. I'm just gonna take it as my own. But I'm going to credit you for it. Yes. Okay. I I need to ask a a, a real and true question. If I'm yeah. Okay. I think I have this big long thing about uh, drag shows and uh, semi-professional wrestling, and how those are the best indicators of the table. Like, there's a level of cheesiness Mm. to our Mm. sacraments. So, number one. When Jerry Orbach, because he doesn't have a name aside from Jerry Orbach, when Jerry Orbach is sitting out on the deck, like it's suddenly not just the end of August, autumn. It's like November. Like I was like, did Kennedy just get shot? Why is he so sad? Like it's gray out and there's orange trees and they've changed all the. 
I kind of love that because they're trying to make us understand something. But the other cheesy part, and I don't mean cheesy in a bad way. When did Johnny have time to teach the choreography for the last dance to all of his dance cronies? Because after he takes the leap off the stage in the final number, he goes up there and they're all doing the dance. They're all doing. Because he mm-hmm. because he's done it every year. That's I oh, okay. okay. He has the he has the last dance every single year. And so they know. Like there's it. I would I'll sorry, I jumped on Dana's right. answer. But no, like, no, that's that's as right. As a musical yeah. theater person, I'm like, listen, I can still do, as we've named that, mm-hmm. I have seen Rent the Musical, not the movie, because I'm not the biggest fan of the movie. I've seen the actual stage show 40 times. Yes, I can do the entire La Vie Boheme table scene without thinking about it. So if someone jumps on a table and starts doing the mark part, I will 1000% take my seat at the end and be Maureen. And I, like- <laughs> I can still shapoopy with the best of them. I get it. Right. And so, like, and I think Love that it. that is. I had the same thought. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, these are performers. These are people that know right. how to, that know not only what Johnny's going to do for this thing, because it's the dance, but also mm-hmm. their role in support for it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And let's not, you know, forget the the FU that Johnny Castle does because he's doing this dance that presumably he's, he's choreographed. The dancers know it. And it's not the pachanga, right? Or whatever it was that Neil wanted. Um, it's it's something contemporary that Johnny like starts, you know, practice. <laughs> yeah. And so it's oh yes, I hate Neil so much. We all do, right? Thank you for reading yeah. the book that I've been holding he's, up too much. I, he's such a tool. So I have one last question before we go to the final question, if I might. Mm-hmm. Um I so there's the line at the end again, and maybe this is why I am, you know, sitting here with daddy, uh, which I saying daddy is so I call my dad pop. So like daddy is such a, my kid such calls a pops. daddy is such a very specific term in communities that I am an ally to that. I'm just like, it's not what I think of, but anyway, uh, but he does say, you know, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Yeah. He doesn't and say I, he's wrong. Sorry, he needs well, to say I am wrong, but yes, I get it. I'm sorry, excuse sure. me, I jumped in. I didn't, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done No, but, but, uh, but going off of that ethic, uh, what does yeah. the church need to name that it is wrong about? What do we oh. need to say? I am, and I'm going to ask us maybe let's, let's pick one because I'm sure we could all list the lists. But uh, mm-hmm. if we, if we, if the church were to keep that ethic, which I hope we do, um or as faith leaders you know keep that ethic of i've said this often like in my work of allyship and justice the most powerful thing i can often say is i'm sorry you know because we don't say it enough or authentically or well mm-hmm. um and naming our you know our sinfulness and our our brokenness in the midst of community uh but what 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 do, what does the church need to say mm. I'm about wow well, you landed on it, Spiff, too, when you said ethic. You know, we we haven't addressed this yet, but thinking about Jerry Orbach, who comes from a on the paternal side, a Jewish family. You know, Eleanor Bergstein, who's also Jewish. Jennifer Gray, who has a Jewish father. I mean, this is a tip of the hat to Tikkun Olam, if I've ever you know heard of one throughout this whole entire movie. But you know what the church does wrong is exactly what Baby tells Jerry Orbach. You know, Daddy. She says, you know, you told me that everybody deserves a chance, but you meant that only if they are just like you. And so that is what the church thinks. The church thinks that it should be comprised of people who are just like it. 
you know, and that's where we get it wrong. That's where we get it wrong. I think your answer embodies all of the lists um, or all of the subdivisions in it, because it's Mm. women to be like men. We want queers to be like straights. We want people of color to worship a white Jesus. I I think that's in there. I will specifically say women, because I'll say this dirty dancing is quote unquote, a chick flick. Um, I started reading quote unquote chiclet because I realized I'd been avoiding Jane Austen and the Bronte Mm. sisters for decades. And I enjoy it. It's fun. It's thoughtful. It's intelligent. Um, what does, and it plays into toxic masculinity to have this kind of thing, but specifically the church has to become egalitarian when it comes to gender and sexual, um, not orientation, uh, but gender roles and normativity, whatever that may be, in my opinion. That's a good question. Mm. If Very well said. <clears throat> I think, so I also will name that I watched the, like the movies that shaped us or whatever that thing is on yes. Netflix. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I loved that they were like, we got the right director because he knew when to keep the camera rolling, even when we were done with the script. And we got so many beautiful moments in this that are in this movie because of that. And so I think one of the things that the church needs to both recognize and realign and apologize for is for putting the value and the emphasis on what is happening on the stage, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how many how many beautiful holy moments are we missing because we haven't let the camera keep rolling or we haven't valued the b-roll film um mm. and that that is you know because the ministry that is happening beyond the sermons beyond the you know the immediate table beyond you know as disciples that's uh, that's the crux of our worship experience and so the ministry that is happening when the person in the back who doesn't want to talk to anyone, but it's, you know, thanked for coming when they leave or um, when, you know, someone has a gluten allergy and you change the bread to be inclusive of everybody and all the little ministry things that are the, the B role of ministry. Um, we need to, uh, capitalism has, has said, this is the, the words on the page and, you know, what's on the main stage is what matters. And I think that that's a real, Um, it's really sinful of us as a collective body trying to do the just work of God. Amen. Amen. I really miss you, Spiff. (laughs) Uh, We have for our final question and uh, you get to ask it, Spiff, because you know it. Uh, Dana, this has been, I mean, like I said, I did not know I needed this and I did. Uh, This has been such a joy. Great. Have you had the time of your life, Spiff? <laughs> I, have, I have had the time of my life and I've never felt like this before. Um, yay. 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 Uh, Tana, thank you again. Uh, we hope you will come back. Uh, well, I know oh, we've talked about it, but you know, uh, for our deuces out there, that's uh, it's on the table. Um, so he- yes. Uh, but what biblical story, theme, book are you most reminded, you know, et cetera, are you most reminded of in Dirty Dancing? Mm, Matthew 7, without a doubt. So if we get, you know, if we head down to the, you know, beginning, what y'all know the Bible way better than I do, but like it'd be verse 13 or 14, where we're talking about, you know, Jesus is giving the proclamation to anyone who has the ears to hear mm-hmm. that, you know, you are not to judge others. 
you know, unless you're going to be judged. And then he just like starts, you know, spouting off about just being plain old nasty. And he's like, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he's like, you know, that's, it's not where it's at folks. And then he lands on the golden rule. And so I feel like, you know, in Matthew seven, Jesus takes all of the teachings of Judaism, all of the teachings that he has as a, as a reformer and just brings them all together in a tidy package. And just here you go, friends, this is what it's all about. Right. And so I love that because I feel like that's what this movie does. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot to um, think through and hear. And this is our Matthew seven. I, I, I always love Hillel's version of the golden rule, oh, yeah. uh, which is do not do to another, which you find aberrant. Uh, that is the sum of the law and the prophets. The rest is commentary. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go because I've been dying for this. I was going to say penny is wisdom and penny is wisdom. And I was going to say Johnny is Jesus, but I didn't actually mean it. But the parable of the wedding banquet in which um, people are too busy and it's or in the other telling, they won't put on the outfits. They, they don't they don't want to do the dance. Max Kellerman is the parable of the wedding banquet because I did not remember that conversation when I saw this movie last. And when he said times are changing and kids don't want this. And you finally see like that control just let go a little bit. And at the end of the movie, Brian turned to me and he said, imagine what the world would be like if people were just willing to dance every now and again. Mm. And so that scene at the end became the wedding banquet for me. And I, I don't dance enough, but that's neither here nor there. I love I thought I thought too about like what does it mean for the simplicity of dance to be what brings us joy, right? We're so into like Mm -hmm. do the streamers, do the things, make everyone happy, like all the things. And like, what if it just took was what if all it took was just like everyone dance? Uh that is not my answer, but uh so I'm gonna go and I I came up with this answer before we had obviously this conversation, but I I think it still fits. I think I'm gonna go with Johnny and Baby as a couple as Aquila and Priscilla. Ooh. Uh, yeah. as, as those that both work and spoil, as those that both proclaim and move and deconstruct, uh, who are both known apart but are better together. Um, mm-hmm. Those are, that is my answer. I love it. Wow. Um, I usually put up a screen at this point that says jeffwonro.com celebrating 16 years of making the ordinary time extraordinary. But for some odd reason, whenever I load that picture on my computer, it's just a black screen. So I'm just going to say out loud, jeffwonro.com uh, leads you to our sponsor, Jeff Wonro, and he is marvelous. And I will get that fixed for next week, Jeff. Yeah. Um, Dana Trent, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Uh, thank you Coming out, dessert first. It is in my Amazon cart. Oh, it's in my secret. Don't say the name of it, cart. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to take it out of my cart. I'm going to order it from my local independent bookseller is what I'm going to Yes, absolutely. Uh, yes. And I, yes. Yes. We're thrilled to have had you here. Hey, Spiff, next week, we're going to be back. We are. We and are. we're going to tell people with what next. Is, but keep on the list. You know what? This is a great opportunity to say, y'all smash that button, subscribe, like, share, do all the things, uh, because that is how we tell you what is coming up next. I, we have great guests that are lined up. If you want to be a guest, reach out to us. Uh, if you know someone that you think would be a good guest, put us, put us all in touch. Uh, I do know we have Alexis Carter Thomas coming, uh, who is exceptional and one of my dearest friends. And we 
y'all are doing Brandy Carlisle, which speaks. I mean, we're going to talk wild horses because that book is incredible. Uh, I will also name, I just went and saw Brandy two weeks ago. So uh, Alexis and I went and saw Brandy. So that is how she is kind of come here. And we're going to talk all things uh, Brandy. We are working on just a, a whole slew of really yes. incredible guests. We don't, we don't announce until it's confirmed. And we are so close to confirmation on so many things. Dana, I hope you'll come back for Hocus Pocus. I just, I just I know this in our, in our correspondence, uh, Dana put in there, she was like, I would totally do Hocus Pocus. Arthur, please don't worry. It's not a horror movie. Um, and I, I really appreciate that deep consideration for my, for my inability to watch scary things, but um, anything that has Bette Midler, singing i've got a spell on you in my book this has been two on one like subscribe share with your friends share with your enemies thank you so much we'll see you later deuces thanks for having me y'all take care